Karen is the proven expert in addiction treatment. A recent independent study showed that 94% of Karen patients were still in recovery 90 days post-treatment. Visit CARON.org slash real. Karen, real results, real care, real about recovery. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Fantasy Football Addicts podcast. It has been a long, long off-season. For all of our loyal listeners, welcome back. And to any new listeners, welcome. As always, my name is Mung, and I'm joined here by my co-host, The Los. Yes, Nick Jurgelis, uh, The Los to to all you new listeners and old listeners, welcome back. Um, wow, man, what a layover! It's been uh, it's been a ride. Very, very busy off season, both in the NFL and in uh, each of our three lives. Next year, we certainly don't uh, intend to have this long uh, between podcasts. But hey, here we are now. Better late than never, right? Yeah, and you know what? None of that matters now because the season is almost here and I am so freaking pumped. It's almost it's almost better in a way cuz it's like we're I'm jittery just talking about it, you know? Didn't feel this way last year since we were talking about it, you know, 3 months ahead of time. Yeah, what what is it? Uh like uh not having something makes the absence makes the heart grow fonder, monk. <laughs> yeah, see, you knew what I was talking about. <laughs> of course. Um, all right, so we're gonna have some uh, some fun this show. I, I know we're in the middle of draft season, so we're gonna talk about different positions, or I'm sorry, different players at different positions that we think are underrated and that are overrated. So basically, guys to target and guys to stay away from. They used to call them sleepers and busts. I hate both of those. You know. Yeah, I mean, because it's all, it's all relative, right? Depends on how that, cheap you right. get somebody. If you add like a Jamal Charles off the waiver wire and he turns into a top 10 running back, then I don't know if he was a sleeper, but he was a value. That's right. All right, you want to kick us off with uh, maybe a quarterback? Yeah, let's do it. So my guy, uh, Marcus Mariota, is currently being drafted uh, at the 7.09 pick in ADP, uh, currently being taken off the boards at QB10. Um, and just actually, just a quick note before we get into him. Uh, so the ADP that we're using tonight is different eight, uh, PPR ADP that I've consolidated from three different websites, ESPN, FFC, and MFL. So depending on what site your league uses, always double check against those ADP rankings because that's going to be more helpful for your draft. Um, but just in terms of uh, appealing to a broad audience, no matter what site you play on, that's the ADP we're going to use tonight. So back to Mariota. Um, I don't know what's not to love. He's got a top five, top five offensive line in the league. Uh, they added Corey Davis, the most pro-ready wide receiver in this year's rookie class. And then they went out and got Eric Decker, a terrific red zone threat. And the reports out of camp and in the preseason are that Mariota is reading defenses well enough that their offensive coordinator gave him the green light to change the play at the line of scrimmage. Uh, throw in the fact that Mariota had the six most QB rushing attempts last year, uh, add those yards on the ground, and the sky is the limit for him. I, I don't get why he's getting so low. Yeah, I do expect him to back off maybe on the rushing a little bit as these young quarterbacks typically do as they get a little older. But like you said, he's got better weapons around him. I love Marcus Mariota uh, almost as much as you do. Uh, he, he's he's I think my quarterback seven or eight. I don't have that list in front of me, but I like him a lot more than a lot of guys available. Yeah. And uh, who, who's somebody you like close? 
Well, there should be no surprise here, but uh, we're another year, another year we're going to talk about Captain Kirk Cousins. The answer, Kirk Cousins. Uh, now, I wouldn't necessarily draft him higher than, than he's going right now, but I love him uh, as quarterback eight through quarterback 10 coming off the board. I would uh, draft him as my quarterback six. Steady production, virtually never outside the top 12 quarterbacks in a given week. He finished as the quarterback five last year in standard leagues. Spreads the ball around very well. Uh, a lesser Drew Brees comparison, as, as we've made before. Uh, and an improved receiving core with Terrell Pryor, a much better road zone option than uh, Deshaun Jackson or anything he's had prior. Uh, continued connection with Jamison Crowder and hopefully a healthy Jordan Reed who every single week has a chance to be the top tight end in the game. Hopefully Josh Doxson, who was my top uh, rookie wide receiver last year, can stay healthy this year, start to develop into a solid player. Um, this could be a good connection in this uh, young team for years to come. Sort of similar to uh, the Titans in that way. You know, I, I like Cousins, but I'm a little bit nervous just because Reed was already battling that toe issue in the preseason. And then also just the departure of Sean McVay. I, I just think that offense may take a tiny step back. Um, did you say you have Cousins ranked as your QB six? Six or seven. Yeah. You know, that's actually funny because I have Marcus Mariota in my ranks as my QB six. So I think Same. we should uh, kick off this season with a little bet. What do you think? Oh, Oh, sure. Why not? Uh, yeah, I I think Kirk Cousins will finish, though not by much, with uh, more points than Marcus Mariota. Well, I think Marcus Mariota is going to do much better than Kirk Cousins this year. Write that down, Dan. All right. Is that my job? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess it should be. <laughs> uh, All we're right. going to get sued. Um, on, the other, on the other hand here... Um, there is one QB that I think is going a little bit higher than I actually like. And don't get me wrong. I like Derek Carr, but his current ADP is at the 6.08 spot uh, going off the boards at QB six. So I, I get the reasons why everybody loves him, right? He's another young up and coming quarterback. He's got a great offensive line. He's got Marshawn Lynch carrying the rock for him now. And he's got great weapons in Cooper and Crabtree. But the problem with Derek Carr isn't that, you know, he's in a good offense. It's that he plays in the best defensive division in the league, the AFC West. And they got Denver, San Diego. And it's just like, here are last year's stats for Derek Carr when he's facing a divisional opponent. He's averaging 59% completion, 211 passing yards, 0.8 touchdowns per game. 0.6 interceptions per game and that all amounts to 8.4 fantasy points per game now when he's facing a non-divisional opponent he's averaging 66 percent passes completed 288 passing yards 2.4 touchdowns 0.3 interceptions for a grand total of 25.7 fantasy points per game you seeing a little bit of a problem there yeah i do i i think you should uh Maybe draft two quarterbacks, start them against non-divisional opponents, and then get somebody to slot in, like Carson Palmer or something, to slot in those off weeks. Jeez, wow, eight points. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty rough. That's that's in the territory where he'll lose a week for you, not just he won't help you win. I mean, we're in the we're in the stages right now of fantasy football where you need at least fifteen points from your quarterback, and that's on the low end. 
Right. And and the reason that so many people have dropped Ezekiel Elliott down their boards is because he's suspended for six games, which is half of the regular season in fantasy. And guess what? Derek Carr faces divisional opponents for six games or half of the regular season in fantasy. Well, I, I like that. I like that uh, that comp there. I like that. I like where your head's at. Yeah, so I have him around my QB 9 or 10. I think he's fine to take in, in the 7th or 8th rounds, but I would definitely take both Cousins and Mariota over him. I think in the late 6th round is just way too high for Derek Carr. All right. Uh, now, I've got a guy who I don't necessarily have a problem with his ranking, per se, at quarterback 2, but I certainly would not be taking him at the tail end of the 2nd round or the early 3rd round, and that's uh, that's that's TB12. That's Tom Brady. Um, I could say Rodgers here, but but Brady in the third to me is even more egregious than Rodgers in the second. Um, he's he's old. He's not just aging. He's not just getting there. He's old. It all falls apart for somebody for for everybody at some point in time. The only quarterback to start a game older than Tom Brady is right now is Brett Favre. Um, with Edelman down, he's lost his most trusted wide receiver, and they have four NFL caliber running backs in that backfield. Who are they going to use a ton? You know, I love them. They'll be fine. Patriots are still, you know, Super Bowl contenders, but why pay third? Why pay a third rounder for all the risk that comes with Tom Brady? I, I get what you're trying to say there. Um, I don't think I haven't taken a Rodgers or Brady early in any of my drafts this year, but at the same time, I, I don't know that I can necessarily fault anyone for taking him there. Um, you know, I, I don't love it, but I think that's more overall strategy than anything. So. I'm fine if if somebody chooses to hinge their season on Brady. You can certainly make worse choices there. That's that's for sure. But I don't think he's going to be noticeably worse than Marcus Mariota would for you be. Okay, I, I can definitely agree with that. I would definitely want uh, to grab a Mariota or Cousins like four rounds later. Yes, sir. All right, so let's move on to the running back position then. And some big news, uh, Spencer Ware tore multiple ligaments in his knee and is out for the season. Um, You know, he's a fun player to watch. Obviously, you feel bad anytime there's an injury in the NFL, but this does clear the path for one of my favorite guys, Kareem Hunt. So the the ADP that we've gathered here, uh, it's been updated through the last day or two. However, I'm not sure... Um, how many drafts uh, account for you know the the values that were prior to Ware's injury? So as of yesterday, Cream Hunt's ADP is in the early sixth round at the 6.03 spot, or the 24th running back off the board. Um, that said, I expect that to continue climbing in the coming days as more and more drafts post Ware's injury happen. Uh, so keep an eye on his ADP. But honestly, I would take him in the in the third round. I actually took him in a draft in the third round a couple nights ago. And here's why. Hunt is just such an elusive runner and receiver out of Toledo. Last year, in for Kansas City, in games where Spencer Ware was playing, he got 80% of the carries and 67% of the receptions. And with Ware out for the year, who's going to challenge Kareem Hunt? Sharkander West? <laughs> He's not gonna. He's not gonna challenge him, but we'll we'll get we'll get there later. I do think that his value just just jumped back on the table. I don't know. And and for those of you who remember my terrible terrible call two years ago on C.J. Spiller, where I was I loved C.J. Spiller two years ago, 
Um, I am completely off that train. I think it's the Kareem Hunt show in Kansas City, and it's not even close. So for me, if you, if you like guys like Dalvin Cook and Leonard Fournette, you should love Kareem Hunt because I think he's in a better offense than both of those guys. Uh, Mixon's in a, in a somewhat of a committee in Cincinnati. I think Hunt is going to be the guy. And like I said, I will take him in the third all day. Yeah, you got a, you got a no-brainer uh, uh, underrated running back right there. Um, Andy Reid uh, running backs historically do quite well, and he's going to be the number one there. Oh, yeah. And, and like I said, I don't think Sharkhandrick West is really going to you know play or have much of an impact there. No, no, not, not, not unless more disaster strikes. Back in the NFC, uh, I, th- I think uh, time to talk about a little PPR relevant running back. Theoretic, of course. Um, Theoretic going in the eighth round right now, running back 32 off the board. He put up 150 PPR points in 10 games last year. Now, it's not really fair to do this, but if you convert that to 16 games, that's 240 points or as many points as Howard and, Murray, uh, Howard and uh, Tennessee's Murray are being projected for this year. Um, yes, Abdullah is there. He'll likely find his way to a soft tissue injury or something else. Zach Zenner, Dwayne Washington are not a threat to in this backfield. Um, Riddick is just too valuable on the field with a quarterback who loves to throw the ball to his pass catching running back. In a PPR, he's a legitimate flex with high running back to upside. And if he, if a few things break right, which have broken the last year and the year before that, and in standard, he's a legitimate handcuff with standalone by week fill in value as well. Um, you know, it's funny because this is the first show of the season. We're already disagreeing quite a bit. Wow. Um, <laughs> again, I, I like Theoretic, but I guess I just think that there are plenty of those pass-catching type backs out there that you can grab late. Um, for me, he's he's fine in round eight. I don't know that I, I would draft him earlier than that. I just think... You know, there are guys like Chris Thompson and Darren Sproles who are even getting undrafted sometimes, and you know, I think they're just as good as Riddick, and you don't have to burn an eighth-round pick on them. Yeah, but they don't, they don't have quite the situation. Chris Thompson could legitimately never see the field this year if Sam H. Per- if that Pirine guy, I, I, there's a name. You want to talk about Pro CC? I don't have a clue how to say this guy's <laughs> last name. Uh, I think it's yeah, Pirine. Yeah, P. Ryan, fine, whatever, P. Ryan. Uh, it's it's plausible that Chris Thompson never even sees the field. Uh, you know, speaking of P. Ryan, not to sidetrack us too much, but can you imagine if Isaiah Pede and Samaj P. Ryan were on the same team? Yeah, that that would be cute, wouldn't it? That would make for some uh, some good fantasy names right there. I think that's for sure. <laughs> imagine if they imagine if either of them were relevant too. <laughs> I think P. Ryan could be this year, but we'll we'll see about that. Yeah, um, we'll get there. You know, it's funny. I, I, I so one guy I have on my list who's overrated. Um, you know, I was gonna bring him up later, but since you brought up Theoretic, uh, one of my uh, running backs to avoid is actually Amir Abdullah. In the middle of the sixth round, he's currently going at six point oh five in ADP, a twenty fifth running back off the board. And maybe I should bump up Riddick a few spots because I really don't like where Abdul is going right now. Um, I think that while Abdul is clearly the most talented running back on Detroit, and he's technically the quote-unquote starter, here's my question. Number one is, can he stay healthy? And no. number two is, is he going to get... <laughs> 
man, if if I had you just, you know, answering all of my life questions, things wouldn't be a lot easier. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, and the second question is, is Abdullah going to get valuable touches? And I say valuable because, again, he is the starter, but we know that the Lions love Theo Riddick as they're receiving back, to your point. And Riddick's going to siphon away a lot of receptions and targets. And Detroit has also repeatedly touted Zach Zenner as a goal line option, so how many goal line carries is Abdullah going to see? Again, I like him as a player, but there's so much downside for a guy who's going in the middle of the sixth round. Yeah, definitely. And, and anytime you get Matt Stafford in the red zone, I mean, he, he's a good quarterback, you know, he has a chance where he could throw it to golden Tate, you know, on a, on a in cut or something for the touchdown, Marvin Jones, Kenny Galladay this year, Amir Abdullah just does absolutely nothing for me. Yeah. He actually lasted, I think to the eighth round in uh, in a draft of mine. I still just couldn't pull the trigger on him. I, you know, yeah, I could bother? be dead wrong. I could be dead wrong. And if he proves me wrong, that's, that's great. But I just, I don't see it. Good for him. I, I like being proved wrong when people make successes of themselves. That's, uh, that, that's one thing that that's always feel good. Yeah. Got to play with the chip on your shoulder. That's right. Uh, speaking of somebody with a chip on their shoulder, my first overrated player to avoid, um, is, is, uh, you know, very, very, very controversial player, Joe Mixon, second rounder out of what Ohio or Oklahoma, some sort of college with an O in it, right? Went to the Bengals. He will, uh, people are taking him at his running back 19 right now, ahead of both of the other Bengals running backs, which I don't necessarily have a problem with that, but I would not spend a fourth rounder on him. He's not going to start this year as this team starting running back. Hill is going to begin the year as the starter. And he's not that far removed from an elite being an elite fantasy running back here which was just two years ago. Now, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think he'll still elite, but he's definitely good enough to, to hang on to a job. And he'll be getting the short yardage and goal line work. And Giovanni Bernard, we can't forget about him. He's a very good third down and pass catching running back. Uh, the Bengals will be working their offense also through Dalton, Green, Eifert. These are all stars in the league. Now, Mixon has all the talent to be a workhorse running back. But with this team's construct right now, I'm not gambling on that this year especially with clear starters in place and PPR value backs on the board. Still, they can be better producers than Joe Mixon. Yeah. Um, I will actually agree with you on this guy. Um, I, I just think, you know, they, they took a big hit to their offensive line, losing two of their starters from last year to free agency. And a, as you said, it is going to be somewhat of a committee. Giovanni Bernard is very good at what he does and, Jeremy Hill is a good enough plotter to plot into the end zone there, and they're going to keep using him on some goal line situations, I'm sure. I mean, and, and I've heard people like specifically in their mind targeting Joe Mixon in their drafts. And to me, that's that's absolutely crazy. If he falls to you, if you end up taking him, if you're if your computer shuts down and you auto draft him, that's one thing. But to, to specifically target him going in in a redraft league, nah, get out of here. Yeah, um, I don't think, uh, given where he's going in the fourth round, I don't think I'm going to own Joe Mixon on any of my teams this year either. Yep. And another guy that I've been actively avoiding is Danny Woodhead, who's going in the late fifth round at the 5.10 position right now, or running back 21. Um, And this is something that I just, I don't really get, because in 2013 and 2015, Woodhead played all 16 games, and he was a great value for fantasy. But in 2014 and 2016, 
when had played five games total those two years. Uh, this is a guy who's now 32 years old, coming off an ACL injury, and already nursing a hamstring injury in the preseason. Now, if you had to put money down, do you think his stats are going to be more like 2013 or more like last year? Even if you're hopeful, the, the fifth round is just insane for me to even consider Woodhead at that point. Yeah, that, that's, that's absolutely crazy. And that's, that's pure forgetting that Terrence West is the actual starter of that team. <laughs> you know, I don't have him on my list to talk about, but while we're on Woodhead real quick, I do think Terrence West is a value. Yeah, he's, he's criminally undervalued, actually. Now, he's not a good running back, but he is the starter on a, very, on a pretty good offense. I wouldn't say he's not good. I just don't think he's like spectacular, but I, I think that he's solid enough in pass protection. And if anything does happen to Woodhead where he's going to miss time, then, you know, he's going to be the guy, quote unquote. Yeah. Beware of Buck Allen. Yeah. Um, in deeper leagues, uh, Allen is worth a shot, but I, I think West in the ninth round is a good value right now. I'd much rather have him. And I, in fact, I do have him on two or three teams instead of Woodhead in the fifth. There you go. And I, I completely agree there. If you're going to sit on it to the ninth, uh, g- give me that over Woodhead um, anytime. Woodhead, just with the injury concerns, the age, it's it's just being silly. Now, a word to his positive, he does work in, a, in an offense where the quarterback loves throwing the football to running backs. I think near almost more than anybody else in the game, especially, well, I guess uh, that was, I guess I'm referencing when Mark Trestman was around who, He's out of the league by now, right? He doesn't have a job, I hope. Yeah, but Flacco does throw the running back a lot in general. Yeah, but that was uh, definitely fostered by by Mark Tressman. But, you know, none of those things are here. Woodhead, avoid in the fifth. Yep. All right, back to a player who I would target, definitely higher than the ninth. Similar sort of player to Theoretic is Duke Johnson out of Cleveland. Um, you're probably going to disagree with me here since you hate running backs who catch balls in PPR leagues, which is ludicrous to me. He has 50 plus catches and 500 plus receiving yards in each of the last two seasons. That's chalking him up for an automatic hundred points right there without accounting for any rushing or touchdowns. Uh, Cleveland has unproven wide receiver talent subtracted Terrell Pryor from the pool. They're coached by Hugh Jackson who loves running backs and our starting rookie Deshaun Kaiser at quarterback officially to me. That equation adds up to a whole lot of leaning on your running backs. Cruella is not a proven stud by any means. He's good. He'll st- he is the starter, but he is not a superstar. Um, Duke should be drafted about eight to 10 running backs higher in uh, PPR leagues than he is higher than many other running backs in timeshare situations who aren't catching footballs. Uh, never forget one reception equals 10 yards on the ground. Yeah. Again, um, I don't think I, I don't dislike Duke Johnson in the late ninth round. I just don't necessarily think he's underrated at that point. I I think he's fairly valued, you know, around there just because I don't see him getting too many actual carries or, you know, outside of just the the catches if they put him in the slot or whatever it might be. Yeah. Well, what have you? I mean, it could be, it could be that way. You're, you're, you could be absolutely right. Um, Last year, he did only have 73 attempts on the ground to Crowell's 190. Um, so it's definitely Crowell's rushing game there, but like I said, you're near guaranteeing a hundred points right off the bat. 
Yeah, I mean, that's certainly fair. Uh, you know, there are worse RB2s to have, but uh, you know who, what, who the best RB2 value is right now? No, who could that be? I, I think one of the most underrated guys this year is Doug Martin, whose ADP right now is averaging around 7.05 in the mid-seventh round, the 28th running back coming off the board. And I absolutely love Doug Martin in the seventh. I have him in almost every league because usually I'll pull the trigger on him by round five or round six easily. Uh, this is a guy who rushed for almost 1,500 yards with Josh Freeman as his quarterback and a crap offensive line. The same guy who's had glowing camp reports all summer talking about how committed he is, uh, you know, his conditioning, his talent. And make no mistake, he is the guy starting week four when he comes back from that PED suspension. And with Deshaun Jackson and Mike Evans there now, defenses cannot stack the box. I think he's basically Ezekiel Elliott light, but four rounds cheaper. Wow. That's uh that's that's some mighty that's some mighty big talking for for the Duggernaut, the muscle hamster, whoever he is to you. Um, because to me, he's practically everything other than reliable. He's had only one healthy season since 2012. He suspended the first three games of this season already, and the Bucks have a week 11 bye. So to me, that's four games off the bat he just won't be there for. And as, if Jaquiz Rogers has any semblance of success in his absence, which if we remember to last year, he was very successful in his absence. Quiz isn't going to be immediately unseated just because Doug Martin comes back. Um there will be a split causing significant questions on whether you should start or not uh, each week, you know, week four, if jo if quiz does very well, are they going to say, Oh, Hey, you know, go ahead and throw Martin in there. No, I think it'll be a bit more of a committee at that point. And that's going to give you essentially two basically useless fantasy players in quiz and Doug uh, for those couple of weeks that that happens until they finally say, Hey, Doug, take the reins. I think in your best case scenario, he's a sure thing by like week six. Um, but the Bucks are bottom half in running back strength of schedule for weeks six through 10. And then again, they have that 11th week by give me Gillisley. Uh, give me other PPR running backs. Instead, he isn't elite enough to be sitting there waiting for his team. Isn't even completely sold on him. And he's most definitely not Ezekiel Elliott. Okay, so you're saying he's not even a running back two? He's he's a running back two, but you have to go so far. You have to go out of your way to replace him. He's not a running back. You need to find a different running back two for the first three weeks at least. I, I think that can be done quite easily. Um, so where do you think he finishes the season then? In PPR. In PPR, what do you mean? Like running back rank? Yeah. Oh gosh, I, I don't know how to, I can't put a number on that. I, I think his average points per game that he plays, I think that's probably a safer way to, oh gosh, cause that's, you're really putting me on the spot here, man. I think once he comes back, he's going to be like a top 15, maybe even top 10 PPR running back. But that's assuming that he comes back and takes the job completely, which I really don't think he's going to do I, until earliest week six, seven. I think Jaquiz is just a guy, and as soon as Martin's back on the field, he is on the field for a, the majority of snaps played. So, how are you filling your your hole in that in that absence? I'll grab since you're using your seventh rounder or sixth rounder on Doug Martin. Yeah, well, so depending on who you took in the first six rounds, you might already have two starting running backs, and if you don't, generally speaking, you'll already have one starting running back at that point. 
Um, you better. I, oh, you you you'd better this year have have definitely one starting running back by the time you get there. Well, let me put it to you this way. I, I have a league where I drafted my first two running backs are Ezekiel Elliott and Doug Martin. And I'm not worried at all because I grabbed guys like Terrence West in the ninth. Um, and then, oh man, I, I've been doing too many drafts. I can't remember who my other running backs are. I think I grabbed okay. Ty Montgomery in the 8th and like Thomas Rawls in the 10th and I'm just going to start a committee and run two of those guys out there every week until Martin comes back. Well, t- Ty Montgomery shouldn't have gone in the in the 10th in that league. So so congratulations to you on that one because uh, what was he doing uh, maybe, there? Maybe it wasn't Ty Montgomery. That might have been a different league, but I'm just saying you can guy- grab guys like Thomas Rawls in the 10th. Um, you can grab guys like Darren Sproles in the 14th, 15th round and he's the starter in Philadelphia. So I think you're fine. You can cover that RB2 spot for the first three weeks. Mm, you you can also go down by, by drafting Zeke and Doug. You could go down 0-5 and start your season and need to win out in order to do anything. Okay. I mean, maybe we'll see if that risk-reward approach works out for me, but I, I would rather have two guys who I think are going to be studs in the fantasy playoffs than, you know, grab a bunch of random people in, in the 6th, 7th round. Got to get to the playoffs first. All right, that's fair. That's fair. I can see we're not going to agree on the Doug or not this year. No, sir. All right. Um, I think that covers the running back position. Let's move on to wide receivers then, yeah? Okay, that sounds good. They catch balls. <laughs> I would hope so. Um, unless you're Tyreek Hill and you can also run really fast. Yes, yes. Or, or, uh, or Tavon Austin. Yeah, well, uh, I think those two are a little bit different, but <laughs> that's You won't fine. hear that name twice. No, definitely not. Um, but a name that we're, I don't think we're hearing quite enough of is Tyrell Williams, whose current ADP is 9.11, late ninth round, the 41st wide receiver off the board. Uh, let me just repeat that for a second in case y'all didn't hear me out there. The 41st wide receiver. Tyrell Williams, who was a high-end wide receiver two last year, is going off the board at wide receiver 41. Somebody's got to wake me up because there's no way I can get my wide receiver two in the ninth round. Yes, I get that Keenan Allen is healthy now, but Tyrell Williams is that is the clear number two target in that offense. Dontrell Inman and Travis Benjamin are both more of just role players, and Mike Williams, even though he's pretty talented, um... <laughs> He's out until October with a back issue, if not later. Tyra Williams is maybe a, an even better value than Doug Martin in this draft this year. And if anything happens to Keenan Allen, his ceiling is sky high. This is a guy with a high floor and an even higher ceiling, and I just cannot understand how he's going this late. Yeah, I guess I could see the argument that historically, um, the the San Diego wide receivers that you really don't make mention of that that. You know, you don't expect to do anything. End up doing super well in a Philip Rivers offense, but is it? But so I guess in that situation, that would be Travis Benjamin this year, who they went out and got to be their deep threat. But he really didn't turn into much at all last year. Um, I, I think you've got a good find there, Mullen. I think you really do. Well, I'm glad you agree for once. Well, thank you. Hey, we agree plenty. Um, now this this next pick may be a little too sentimental for me, but. Uh, 
Darn it, Brandon Marshall still deserves respect. Uh, this this should be the best offense that he's played in in the last four seasons at least. And he's one year removed from a 109-catch, 1,500-yard season. He's a big body, a sure-handed receiver. He's the exact answer the Giants were looking for when Odell Beckham Jr. is double-covered in the red zone. Um, I'd feel much safer with him as my wide receiver, too, than the likes of Emmanuel Sanders, Sammy Watkins, uh, Diggs. And I'd be very, very happy to see him fall to me. Um, and in the mid sixth round or, or early sixth round. Um, he's, he's 33 years old. He definitely is. You know, there, there's no denying that, but this is the type of guy he's never been a speed receiver. He's not going to lose speed like Deshaun Jackson. He's fast enough. He's strong. He's big. And he's smart about he, how he plays the game. Uh, a Larry Fitz type of guy. Yeah. Um, I won't argue with you on this one. I, I think Marshall is being underrated this year. Um, that said, I do have him in around the same tier as guys like Sanders and Watkins, those guys that you mentioned. Um, yeah, I, I get it. I, I do think he's a value there. Uh, I, I think the reason most people are scared away a little bit is because they're unsure about Eli Manning. But um, the other point uh, that actually supports your argument is if for some reason Odell Beckham, that high ankle sprain keeps him out a couple weeks, Brand Marshall could be a wide receiver one to start the season. Yeah, how crazy would that be? Yeah, um, you know, that I think it's definitely in the realm of possibility. I love it, and I'd love it. Even even though I don't like the Giants, I would like to see Brandon Marshall having some success. Yeah, he stayed in New York, but a uh, major upgrade there. Yes, sir. He loves those big, cold cities now. He didn't start out that way. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, all right, so one guy that I think is quite overrated at the wide receiver position is T.Y. Hilton. Um, he's going off the board in the late second round, uh, being taken as the 10th wide receiver. And again, this is a guy who I like and who I think is very, very talented. And I just don't know about Andrew Luck or the Colts in general. You know, we're not sure at this point if Luck is going to be ready by week one. And, you know, honestly, we have no idea how many, how many games that he might miss. Uh, Chuck Pagano really hasn't told us anything and luck is you know he hasn't had any time to practice with his receivers how is that going to shake out and honestly if luck misses time do you want ty hilton as your wide receiver one in the second round with scott tolzien throwing him the ball that's just that there's so much downside baked into his current adp and i think he's still in that top 15 ish wide receiver range but I'm going to say no thank you to drafting T.Y. Hilton in the second round. Yeah, I think the Colts are fool's gold. I'm, uh, I'm legitimately concerned for that team. Um, another another top wide receiver um, that sits at the top of a lot of people's draft boards that I think is a little high is Des Bryant as, as the wide receiver eight overall. Um, I don't know if anybody watched uh, the Dallas football games as much as I did last year, as closely as I did living in Dallas down here. But Dak is a much better quarterback when he's not forcing the ball to Des Bryant. Saw it the entire year uh, when he spreads the ball around to Kobe, uh, not Kobe Slaner, uh, Cole. Oh my gosh. Cole Beasley uh, gets a few balls to, to, uh, to does, but mostly runs the ball through Ezekiel Elliott. That is Dallas's recipe for success. Um, Zeke's suspension is a big question mark right now. I truly think that the most likely result is that he's going to appeal the suspension and actually play the start of the season. So good on you for drafting him. Cause I, I do think that he's probably going to start the playing the first few games. 
I, I don't know what's going to happen the rest of the season, though. Um, Dez just does not have the upside, especially in a PPR league. He's never been a high target volume receiver um, of other receivers in that range. I prefer uh, Amari Cooper, Doug Baldwin, uh, Cooks at that spot. Um, this Again, this is another one that I don't hate quite as much as you. I actually have Dez as my wide receiver 10 in my ranks. Um, you know, I, it, I've seen a little bit of preseason and, and it seems like Prescott has good rapport with Des Bryant. Um, and I do think that that offensive line is not as good as it was last year. I don't think they're going to be able to just run the ball down people's throats as much as they did in 2016. I do think they're going to need to throw the ball a little bit more. And, and Des is definitely, you know, the number one receiver on that team. And, He's always been a touchdown machine, and I, I think he goes back to doing that a little bit more again with the running game not being quite as dominant as last year. Sure, sure. So, let's see here. Another guy that I actually wanted to talk about was actually two guys, really. Um, oh, two, <laughs> two guys in one. Yeah, wow. A little bit of a cop-out, I, I will admit, but uh, I like Corey Coleman and Kenny Britt. They're going within a couple of draft spots of each other. Their average ADPs are uh, 10.07 and 10.09, um, going off the board as the wide receiver 44 and 46. And my argument is that, look, even last year with RG3, Josh McCown, and Cody Kessler playing QB in Cleveland, Terrell Pryor was able to put up 1,000 receiving yards. Uh, now, granted, neither Coleman nor Kenny Britt are as physically gifted, but they're still both fairly talented wide receivers. Um, you're adding large upgrades to the Cleveland offensive line. And then you've got Deshaun Kaiser now, who definitely still needs to develop, but he's got good arm talent. And one of these wide receivers is going to finish the season as a flex, if not a low-end wide receiver, too. Now, it's hard to say which because they're both kind of battling to be that 1A receiver in Cleveland, but I think both of these guys are cheap enough to take a shot on in the 10th round. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's perfectly reasonable. Um, quarter, uh, somebody has to catch balls, even for bad teams. So, you know, like uh, Brandon Marshall having that 1,500-yard season for the Jets the, two years ago, or uh, Kendall Wright having some success in Tennessee early in his career, despite them being awful and totally overlooked. Um, you you got to find value where you can find it. Maybe Cooper Cup this year will be that one of those sort of guys. Yeah, the the one caveat is I'm avoiding Coleman and Britt if Brock Osweiler somehow becomes the starter. That would oh my gosh, that would be so perfectly Cleveland that I don't I don't even know what I'd do with myself. What if what if Brock Osweiler led the Cleveland Browns to a Super Bowl championship? <laughs> you know, the, there's there's a saying here that 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 I it's not not podcast appropriate so i so i won't go there all right okay all right um i don't necessarily have any more wide receivers i want to talk about uh do you um uh, well i wanted to mention deandre hopkins because for me he's he's another guy that's kind of overrated here um you know speaking of brock osweiler he kind of tanked hopkins season last year and people seem to think that all of a sudden, you know, it's going to be rose petals and rainbows for Hopkins this year. Um, he's going off the board as the wide receiver 13 in the early third round. 
Uh, but so far, Deshaun Watson hasn't looked that great in the preseason. And Tom Savage is Tom Savage. The Houston defense is one of the best in the league. So I'm really like, tell me how many targets DeAndre Hopkins is going to see this year. And then of those targets, how many of those are actually going to be catchable? I just don't see him as a high-end wide receiver, too. I'd, I'd consider him as maybe a low-end wide receiver, too, in the late fourth round late or, or, or early fifth round, but definitely not in the early third round where he's going right now. I think he's at least around too expensive for my tastes. Yeah, I could see that. And that team makeup is a very uh, is similarly a reason that I think um, that Lamar Miller, despite his struggles last year, I, th- I think he is definitely a little undervalued. Um, I, I would he, he's going at running back 15 right now. Um, after all these rookies, McCaffrey, Cook, Fournette. And I mean, you just know how I am that, that I do like a little more proven um, something than than trusting in a guy who's never even seen an NFL field. Uh, so I, I, I do like um Lamar Miller higher than that, but but not by much for much of those same reasons. Okay. Um should we move on to tight ends then? Yeah, sure. Um I've got uh I've got an overrated tight end to avoid. Um one of the higher ones going is Tyler Eifert. Now don't get me wrong, he's mega talented, but he's had injuries every year of his professional career, never appearing in 16 games. His offensive coordinator has two shiny new toys to play with in Joe Mixon and John Ross, who were very highly drafted first round and second round for them. And also Tyler Boyd should take a step forward. He's a complimentary piece and a good offense, but he's not reliable enough to be so highly drafted in lieu of further running back or wide receiver depth in the, in the rounds that he's going in. Um, AJ green, uh, the, Dalton forces the ball to Eifert in the end zone, but Eifert drops catches you know, with, with more regularity than people give him credit for as well. I, I, I hope the guy can do well. He's a really fun player to watch, but I'm not going to, you know, put my season on the line with him. Yeah. And especially he's having like knee swelling already right now. I think it is. Um, he's going, he's going off the board as the first pick of the seventh round right now in average ADP. And I think that's a little bit high for him. I'd consider him in like the eighth round. Um, two guys who are going after him right now actually are Kyle Rudolph and Zach Ertz, both of which I like. Um, and actually, speaking of Zach Ertz, uh, he was actually on your list, right? Of guys yeah, that you like, yes, better? sir. Yeah, he's. Uh, I I hope to uh, root for him on my t- on a couple of my teams this year. Okay, so you think he's an underrated guy? I definitely do. Yeah, I, I, he's he's going at tight end nine right now, uh, where I think he has a legitimate chance to be the full center point of this Eagles passing offense, a lot like Travis Kelsey is in Kansas City. Um, and for the final five games of last season, he had either nine plus catches or 75 plus yards. That's I mean, that's pretty solid production for a tight end for any tight end, especially the one going at nine. Um, he's a nice, big athletic target and the change in wide receivers on that team shouldn't really affect his role. Even if Jeffrey can steer away from injuries this year, uh, I'm, I'm glad pre ranks have Eifert and Delaney Walker, other folks ahead of him. So I can sit there and wait on him. Yeah, I do like him, especially with Jordan Matthews gone. Um, I don't know if I agree that he's going to be the focal point of the offense like Travis Kelsey, but I I do think that uh, with Matthews gone, it does open up quite a few targets for him over the middle of the field there. Yeah, uh, Elshon won't be going in that territory. Yeah, no, I I think I agree with that. I expect him to stay mostly outside there. 
Um, but you know, another guy that I like as well, um, over Tyler Eifert, who I guess we both think is a little bit overrated is Kyle Rudolph. And he's going off the board right before Zach Ertz at tight end eight in the early seventh round. And this is a guy who was the focal point of the offense last year, like a Travis Kelsey, you know, Rudolph led the Vikings with 132 targets in 2016. Um, that accounted for almost 23% of the passes that Bradford threw. And Rudolph's always been a talented tight end, but he was just struggling with some health issues for a while. And he's finally stayed healthy the last couple of seasons. You know, Bradford loves looking for his tight end. And I'd argue that Rudolph should be drafted closer to Jimmy Graham in the fifth round than Martellus Bennett in the eighth. Sure. He's always been on a dynasty player. No dynasty players know that he's always been on the cusp of very good, not elite, but he could always be a really, really, really solid tight end. And I think with this regime, with Sam Bradford throwing the football, I think he's finally found his way. I like him a lot too. So he's not great. He's just really, really good. <laughs> I mean, he's not Gronk, is he? <laughs> no, but Gronk's, I, I would argue that Gronk is better than great. Better than great. Okay, well, I see our, our skills are just need a little adjustment. <laughs> I, I would argue that Gronk is phenomenal. Oh, well, there you go. Fine. All right. Um, let's see. Uh, who's another tight end that you want to talk about here? Um, so one, one that I also won't be taking, um, and this is really just a deeper league consideration. I really try and dig a little deeper into these players that most people aren't going to be having in shallower leagues. OJ Howard right now is going as tight end 14, and this is just bothering me. Um, this is another situation of an overhyped rookie and granted while tight end 14 is not a starter in a typical league. Um, I have a 16 team league. I have a 14 team league that would make him a starter in either of those leagues, which is nuts. Um, and it does mean he's being drafted as a lottery ticket for some, for some teams. Don't waste the space. You know, get get a get a potentially great quarterback like Carson Palmer late or get a handcuff running back. Do not waste it on O.J. Howard. He's a great blocking tight end. And that's one of the reasons they drafted him. And he's going to be used as such at first. Uh, uh, historically, rookie tight ends do not catch on. Even the Gronk did not have a great rookie season. Um, don't uh, Brait is a good weapon. They're not going to take him off the field. Deshaun Jackson gives them even less reason to look to OJ Howard. He's the fifth receiving option at best on this team. And the team has an inaccurate quarterback itself. Yeah, I think I don't buy the blocking argument as much because I think that's going to help him see the field, which is also going to, you know, set up play action and all that stuff. But um, for the record, yeah, I mean, Gronk had a pretty decent rookie year, but that was buoyed by his 10 touchdowns. I, I think he only still had like 500 yards receiving or something like that. But again, Gronk is the exception. But to that's all still, tight I mean, that's goals. still, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, I would not expect that of OJ Howard or, or of any of the rookie tight ends this year, much less. And Jameis Winston is no Tom Brady. That's, that's also very fair. Yeah. Um, yeah, so a tight end that I don't particularly love, um, I, I don't mind him where he's going. I just, I, I won't be owning him anywhere. It, it's Delaney Walker and his average ADP right now is the last pick in the sixth round. Also going off the board as the sixth tight end. And again, this is, uh, you know, he's in a good offense and Mariota definitely trusts him. He's one of the top targets there. And my problem is that even though he's still going to get his, I don't think it's going to be quite as large a, a slice of the pie in that Tennessee passing offense as it has been in prior years. Um, you know, before he was competing for targets with like 
as you said, with like Toriel Green Beckham and guys like that. And when you, Justin Hunter. Yeah, and when you when you add in and and no offense to Rashard Matthews, who I do like, but you know, last year he and Rashard Matthews were the most targeted guys, and I just see his targets dipping now that Corey Davis and Eric Decker are there. I just think that they're gonna take up a lot of those targets, uh, especially red zone targets, because Decker is such such a good red zone receiver. And I just think his touchdowns are going to go down and he's going a bit early for my liking. This is one of those guys, one of those situations where this is a guy who perennially yearly was underdrafted, underdrafted, underdrafted. I think now we're finally overdrafting him, finally making up for that, that lost uh, draft time for him. Um, Cause I think I'm sure if we look back, he was on my underrated players list each of the last three years, maybe not last year. Um, and, you know, sometimes it catches up to you. Uh, I think people need to remember that DeMarco Murray and Derrick Henry are on this team. And despite Marcus Mariota, this is a run first football team. Yeah, uh, that, that's another great point, too. Uh, they do want to rely on the running game a lot and they're not going to try. They're going to try not to be pass happy. Yep. Um, all right. So I think that about does it for tight ends. Um, let's delve into a couple positions that people don't really, you know, do a ton of analysis for, for good reason. Um, I know I don't. <laughs> I know. Um, but y- you know me, I always like to add a few, a few nuggets about fantasy defenses and kickers, because even though a lot of leagues are starting to get rid of that as a starting position, if it's still a starting position, there's still value to be had there. Sure. Um, so you know, one defense that I really love is the Atlanta Falcons defense. They're going in the late 15th round, coming off the board as the 11th defense being drafted in most leagues. And this seems kind of crazy to me because I don't understand how they could be outside of the top 10. This is a defensive unit that held Tom Brady to three points through one half of the Super Bowl. I know what happened the second half, but still, that that's pretty impressive. And they sacked him five times in that game, and they had a pick six on the greatest quarterback to ever play the game. So they get back Grady Jarrett, the guy who sacked Brady three times in the Super Bowl, Vic Beasley, who was scary good as a rookie and underperformed a bit last year, and then Atlanta also went out and signed Dentari Poe, a dominant defensive tackle from Kansas City. And Again, they shut down Brady for a half without Desmond Trufant, who's a I think is a top 10 cornerback in this league, and he's now back after he was out the rest of last year with a shoulder injury. And, you know, this is just a dominant defense that's going to capitalize on other offenses who have to try and keep up with the Atlanta offense. And if all these reasons aren't good enough for you, the Atlanta Falcons play Mike Glennon and the Bears in week one. There you go. Get her done. It's actually sort of funny. A couple of ranking signs actually have their points projected in the top five, but it's not reflected in their ranking. The, they don't have the Falcons ranked uh, anywhere near that. See, I, I, and I think that's a terrible mistake because sometimes when I do my projections, I say, wow, that looks kind of crazy. Why do I have this guy ranked so low? And then I bump them up because at some point you either trust in your projections or you don't. Right, exactly. You, you, if you can't trust the process, then, you, then you're not doing the process right. Got to trust the process. That's right. Uh, New Jersey Nets. 
Um, yeah, and then, you know, a, a, a kicker that I really like, and again, I know we're, we're talking about kickers here. And, yeah, why are we bothering? I know, I know, but... <laughs> Um, this is a guy who, if you remember, and not to, you know, rest on my laurels too much, um, that I talked up in the fantasy playoffs last year, and that's Chris Boswell. Um, mm-hmm. I actually had a friend of mine who I texted during the fantasy playoffs. He was asking if he should grab a different kicker, and I told him to grab Chris Boswell, and he won the championship. So, I, look, my general thing is you want fantasy kickers who are attached to good offensive units and i think pittsburgh is the most lethal offense in the league right now and they're going to put up a ton of points wow better than atlanta yeah i legitimately think with a healthy ben bryant brown and bell the four b's um and they added vance mcdonald today that's Uh, right old mcdonald yeah i i honestly think um they are the best offense in the NFL right now. Hey, there's a reason that uh, that they have two first rounders going, right? Not yeah. even first rounders, two top five picks. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, I just don't see how anyone's going to slow down this unit if they're all healthy on, on the field. Yeah, fair point, fair point. Um, so just a couple last, a uh, few, few last people that I wanted to talk about real quick, um, without going too much into them, because I think these are guys that their ADP, I think is about right, but I just really love them or I really hate them for one reason or another. Just a couple quick snaps, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Bringing it back. <laughs> um, but so two wide receivers that I have on a ton of teams right now are Tyree Kill and Martavis Bryant. Um, Tyreek Hill is going the late fourth round. Martavis Bryant's going the mid fifth. They're going off the board at wide receiver 20 and 26 respectively. And I, I love these guys. I would be happy if they were my wide receiver one and wide receiver two in leagues. Um, Tyreek Hill, he and Travis Kelsey are the one a and the one B in that offense. All reports are that he's developed his route running a lot over the off season and Andy Reid knows how to scheme his players to get him into space. I think this is a guy who could be, you know, T.Y. Hilton. Yeah, I, I, I like it. I liked him quite a bit. Picked him up on a couple teams uh, midseason last year. Um, I'm, I'm a Hill guy. He's got me sold. Yeah, and then Martavis Bryant. Again, we just talked about the Pittsburgh offense. Um, I think that if it weren't for the suspension risk, he would be a top 15 wide receiver pick, uh, like a no brainer in top 15 wide receiver pick, given what he did in the games that he's played. But the bigger question for me is where is his, I mean, he, he's, he hasn't played an NFL game in so long. Where is he with his quickness and seeing the game? Um, you know, the game changes every single year and people are going to be targeting him. Yeah. But my question is how do you cover Martavis Bryan? If you have to worry about Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown. Yeah, that's 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 a great point. It's a great point. Um, where do you do you think you see envision any reason to own Juju Smith Schuster in any not I, I mean in the deepest of leagues of course, but in any anything like a twelve team or do you think there's any role for Smith Schuster on any teams? Um, you know, there's talk that he could you know play in the slot a little bit. Um, I just. I don't think outside of very deep leagues, I don't think he's worth drafting. I think he's one of those guys that you put on your watch list 
Um, because if anything were to happen to Martavis Bryant, there could definitely be a role opening up for him. Um, but no, to answer your question, I, I would not draft him in most leagues right now. Yeah, I, I'm in agreement there. For whatever reason, I mean, Eli Rogers is is solid enough for, for wide receiver three. But the more surprising thing is how DHB, Darius Hayward Bay, has just sort of stuck around and survived in this offense despite being so terrible for so long. Yeah, fool me five times, not again. No, right? Yeah, no thank you. Um, but yeah, and then the other guy that I find I'm drafting on a ton of teams this year is Rob Gronkowski. And uh, hey, who can blame you? Who can blame you? Yeah, but you know, the only the only knock on him is health. And he's going off the board, obviously, as the number one tight end in the second round. And obviously, you know, I don't need to sell you on his talent or anything, but I, th- I think that, you know, again, everyone knows how dominant he is when he's playing. And my argument is, and I have, this is pure speculation here, I think that Gronk is going to play 14 plus games this year. And the reason is just one small tiny blurb that I read that reportedly he's now following the TB12 nutrition and fitness plan that Tom Brady does. <laughs> to increase his flexibility and durability. And, you know, if you don't believe in it, then whatever, don't draft Gronk. But I'm saying that Tom Brady is 39 years old. Uh, he's about to turn 40, and he's in He is possibly... 40. I thought he was 40 already. Is he 40 already? I'm pretty sure he's 40. Let's see. Let's see. Google search for it right now. Our producer oh, will wow. get that for us real yeah, quick. He, uh, yeah, he turned 40 on August 3rd. So, okay. So Mr. Brady, who is 40 years old and is in fantastic shape, you know, he's doing something right. And my thought process is if Rob Gronkowski at age, you know, 28 is going to follow that same nutritional plan, the sky is the limit for him. There you go. And I I think even more than that, part of fantasy is enjoying the game. And it's, it's a lot of fun to root for players that you actually enjoy that are fun to watch play football. Um, and they, and that's one of the reasons that I love the Gronk truly. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't hate it there. I I'd take him in the second round if he fell to me. Plus just think of all the great fantasy team names you can have with Gronk. Gronk and roll. I want a Gronk. Gronk me baby one more time. I'm a Gronky in a bottle. Wow, yeah, you're you're ready for there. <laughs> oh, you know you know I'm ready over here, that's for sure. Um <laughs> and and he also, you know, has the added bonus of of any year having a chance to have the most t- touchdowns of any player in the game that's not a quarterback. That's a legitimate threat every single year. Yeah, I mean, I, there are very few things more satisfying than watching a Gronk smash. Yeah. Yeah, spike that stuff. <laughs> all right then i i think that's a that's a good note to uh end our first show of the season um unless you have any last uh guys that you want to throw out there to talk about in general uh yeah there was actually i i did a little research in what i like to uh call handcuff science something i like to do every year that i feel is worth um sharing okay now, i am a big advocate of handcuffing running backs and not necessarily running backs that I own. In fact, 
more so than not, I'm handcuffing a running back that I don't own because I don't care if I own him or not. I want a chance at a top five, top seven running back at some point in the season. Um, and that's why I usually spend some of my higher picks on the Gronk or on wide receivers like Antonio Brown. Um, so looking through this year, um, there's a handful of running backs that, that are even worth talking about. Um, so I'll just sort of run through them. Um, first, I want to talk about is Darren McFadden. Of course, he's the, he's the handcuff, but he has a little different situation going on since he's the starter for the first um, four or five weeks uh, for the first five, six weeks, whatever it is. Um, so he's going to be drafted much higher than these guys. So while he is a handcuff, um, he's not really part of this situation over here. Um, first handcuff I'd like to talk about true handcuff is Jonathan Williams in Buffalo. Um, if LaShawn McCoy goes down, I have reason to believe that that Williams will be getting the entirety of the carries. Last year, Gillisley, Mike Gillisley had 100 carries, 570 yards, and eight touchdowns. Um, nobody is drafting Jonathan Williams. Uh, last year, even when McCoy was healthy, they would take him out, rest him a bit, and get Gillisley in there. Um, and not always just at the goal line. Like in other situations, he, he got work. And the year before that, Carlos Williams um, also spelled Shady McCoy in some high leverage situations, got some excellent catches in for touchdown, um, got some reasonable runs in there as well. Unfortunately, his career took a downturn due to a few personal um, choices that he made, which is neither here nor there. The point being is Jonathan Williams is actually my number one um, handcuff for this season. And now all of these guys are going to be drafted in your final four rounds, something like that. Um, number two guy on my list is uh, James Conner, the guy that uh, the Steelers went ahead and drafted to back up Le'Veon Bell. Uh, D'Angelo Williams was there last year, is not there this year. And when Bell was out, they leaned heavily on D'Angelo Williams. Um, Fitz, uh, oh gosh, what's the other guy's name there? Fitzgerald? Toussaint? Yeah, Fitzgerald's Toussaint. Yeah, that's it's Fitzgerald Toussaint, right? That's why it's a yeah. confusing name. He's been there for two years. Um, they've had plenty of opportunities to get him in there to timeshare with the 34-year-old D'Angelo Williams, and they never took that opportunity to let that happen. So I don't think he's going to be standing much in Connor's way as the direct backup to Le'Veon Bell. If you're a Bell owner, you know how often he can get hurt, what sort of things can happen for him. Um, I I think he's definitely worth an investment, um, even in a shallow league. If you're a Bell owner and you're going to spend your number one, number two pick on Le'Veon Bell. Um, next guy who's in a little different situation, Jamal Williams in Green Bay. Um, he is purely drafted as the handcuff right now, but I think he may end up overtaking Ty Montgomery if Montgomery doesn't pan out. Montgomery has never taken the hits like this um, prior in his career, and he's never been a player that's been leaned on prior in his career like he was at the end of last year, and they're planning to at the start of this year. Uh, put Jamal Williams on your draft board. You won't um, be upset for it. Yeah, you know what? Real um, quick, speaking, um, just to add in for my love for Jamal Williams, too. Mm -hmm. um, two other reasons also that I, I do like him a lot as a late round flyer or handcuff um, is one, uh, Ty Montgomery does have sickle cell trait and we've seen how many games that John Brown has missed due to the yeah. slow recovery with the soft tissue injuries. Um, so that's, that's an added risk if you're taking Ty Montgomery early. Um, that's one of the reasons I don't really own him in too many leagues unless he drops to a more reasonable ADP. 
And the number two reason is because the, you know, the reports are that Ty Montgomery has still been struggling with pass protection and you don't want Aaron Rodgers taking that many hits. Um, so if Jamal Williams has McCarthy's trust as a pass protector, then he's also going to play more snaps as, as a result of that. Yeah. Every year Rodgers gets a little older, those hits hurt a little more. Yeah, for sure. And that, that is a guy you want on the field if, if he's your QB. Yeah. Uh, my, my next handcuff is actually the guy that you were sort of talking about a little earlier, not, uh, not in as good of light as I'm about to, but Chark Hendricks West. Um, he's had success prior in Andy Reid's offense. I don't think he's going to challenge Kareem Hunt whatsoever for touches. But if Hunt doesn't pan out, as very often rookies don't pan out, or if he gets hurt, which very often running backs do get hurt, Andy Reid runs an offense where he relies heavily on one running back. Um, West is the third man up in this offense with where there and where hurt and Hunt uh, Hunt the next man up. Um, but West was essentially the only other running back used than Spencer Ware last year, and uh, only in only in spell situations and while Ware had his concussion issues. Uh, I, I think West is definitely worth a handcuff, not necessarily in shallow leagues, but in, anytime we start to get to a 12, 14 team league, definitely any leagues with a six or five man bench, West must be owned. What do you think about that? Um, I, I don't think that West needs to be owned as much as you do. I think I, if something does happen to Cream Hunt, I can certainly seeing him back in that flex or low on RB2 territory, but I, I just don't think he's worth you know, owning right now or drafting right now, I should say. So, yeah, yeah, I, I totally disagree. Um, now that does cut, that does handle all of the handcuffs that I think are worth owning. And again, that list is, um, is Jonathan Williams of Buffalo, James Connor of Pittsburgh, Jamal Williams of green Bay and Charkandrick West of Kansas city. There's a few other guys that you're going to see on your draft board a little higher because of ADPs that I am avoiding this year. Uh, in the future, I think Dante Foreman may be quite good. Um, but, uh, the Houston offense does not have a history of relying on rookie running backs. Um, a lot of sites have him listed as the handcuff or the backup to, um, Lamar Miller. But the truth is that they run a split backfield. They last year they run a fairly even split backfield between Al Blue, John Grimes, and Akeem Hunt. And I expect something like that this year. Don't waste your time on Dante Foreman in a redraft league this year. Um, very similar, Latavius Murray. Uh, Minnesota has a history of of splitting that backfield work. We've seen it with Asiata McKinnon. Very, very heavy split and a very frustrating split because just when you think McKinnon's about to do well. Asiata goes in and scores three touchdowns. Um, so that's, that's another situation that I would avoid. Um, and if you have that first pick, like if you have second pick, you take Le'Veon Bell. If you have that first pick and spend it on David Johnson, I wish I could say that there's a James Conner out there for you, for you to go grab. But all that's there is Chris Johnson, CJ 0.1 K, I guess is what I can call him now. And he's being touted as the handcuff, but last year he and Kerwin Williams had near equal carries um, when David Johnson wasn't in the game. So I don't trust a handcuff in that situation either. And I think that really covers all of the situations worth mention whatsoever in the league. Um. All right. So 
a few things. One, I'm going to disagree with you on Dante Foreman there. Um, I'm pretty high on him. I think he's one of the best I know. <laughs> rookie running backs in this class. And I actually think that if anything were to happen to Lamar Miller, he's actually built like a workhorse. Um, the reason they split between Blue, Grimes, and Akeem Hunt last year is because those are all just guys, and none of them deserves to be the workhorse um, in anyone's absence. But I think if Foreman shows well, if anything happened to Miller, he would very quickly take over that backfield. Um, so I will justify taking him. Um, and then two guys that you didn't mention that I want to hear your thoughts on are Derrick Henry and Rex Burkhead. Oh, that's not, I, when you said Derrick Henry, I thought you were going to follow that up with Tevin Coleman, but uh, Rex Burkhead also, also, also a good guy to be targeting late. Um, so Derrick Henry to me has standalone value on his own without even to be a handcuff um, in a PPR or in a stand or more so in a standard than a PPR. They give that team enough run where I think in a deep league, he has legitimate flex flex value. Um, and if, if DeMarco Murray goes down, he's probably the best number two running back that's in this game today. So I love him. Um, I would draft him ahead of any of the guys that I mentioned, but I, I don't consider him in a handcuff because just like Tevin Coleman, I'd be comfortable starting him in a, as a, uh, as my flex in a lot of leagues. Okay. So um, let's see right now, Derek Henry is going very early. He is. So my question is, do you think, that's justified. Let me let me find him in the ADP real quick here. Yeah, let's take a look at that. So Derrick Henry is being taken in the eighth round, but I often see him going earlier than that. Yeah, I would definitely not take him earlier than that. In a PPR, I would want to take maybe a, a couple. Mm, you know what? He'd be right in that realm where I start taking my my PPR target backs, my theoretic sort of players. Oh, see, I'm all in on Derrick Henry. I would take him as early as probably the late sixth round, something like that. Okay. Um, okay. I mean, I, I would still take Doug Martin over him uh, because Martin sure. is guaranteed a starting position when he comes back. But I just, I also don't think that, you know, the odds of DeMarco Murray staying healthy for another full season are that great. He's had, he's had a poor history of that, but lately I, he's... He's figured it out. I, I don't know what he's changed, but he's doing something right. Right, but I think, like you said, also, Henry does have standalone value, which is why I'm I'm okay with taking him a little bit earlier. Yeah, yeah, I, I could definitely agree with that. Um, if he falls to me, maybe in the... I guess it, it depends how big the, the leagues are, if they're 12 or 14 teams. But if he falls to me in the sixth, if, if it's a late sixth, I'd definitely consider him. Okay, I hear you on that. Um, and then where, where would you take... Um, Burkett, because I think. Well, as you know, I I have a history with these New England backfields, and I I all but swear off of them now because they are. I ha, have you owned? I don't think I've been in the league with you where you've owned parts of the New England backfield, have I? Where I've owned them, or you have? Yeah, where, where you have, because you know I have. I mean, I started our dynasty draft with with Shane Vereen in the third, and we know <laughs> how that turned out. Um, yeah, so I, I think I own Steven Ridley for that year that he was pretty good. Oh. Um, and so yeah, that, that year he was really good. Then the next year he was supposed to be a high second rounder and then he completely fell out of the league. Right. I never said I wanted to own Patriots running backs in a dynasty league. <laughs> We're talking redraft well, fair enough. here. Fair um, enough. But, the game is so difficult itself. 
why throw the added game in there of trying to figure out what Bill Belichick is thinking? If the greatest 31 men in the world, NFL, uh, NFL head coaches can't do it, then I certainly can't expect myself to do it. So here, here's my argument for Rex Burkhead. All right, hear me out. So mm-hmm. I understand Gillisley because there's so much risk and his ADP is so high. Um, James White, I think, is a good value at where he's going in the 10th round right now. But you can get Rex Burkhead in the 15th round. That's his average for ADP nothing. right now. At, yeah. at that cheap of a cost, I'm willing to hold him through the first couple of weeks to see who actually wins that starting job because you might get an RB1 in round 15. But there won't be that's that's just the problem. He will have weeks where he plays the game as an RB one. But are you going to start him that week? Are you trusting yourself to pick the right of the four reasonably good enough to start on any NFL team running backs on the Patriots? Any you go and you look at games where Blunt should have been good and James White was good. You look at games where you thought Shane Vereen was supposed to be great. And hey, Jonas Gray comes and sets Patriots records and then gets cut from the team the next week. It's just a headache and a heartache. Now, I see your point for a 15th rounder. I'd sit there, see if somebody did really well and then trade him. That's what I would do. Yeah, and I think that's definitely another upside that he has. But so here's my final note on why I really like Rex Burkhead right now. Um, And it actually has to do with the Julian Edelman injury. So Mm. here's... Yeah. Um, So a lot of people are picking up Chris Hogan, uh, as well they should, because I do think his target share is going to expand a little bit. Um, But here's the thing. Uh, Do you know who Mike Reese is? The uh, offensive uh, quarterbacks coach? No, not that one. Um, so he, Mike Reese is the most prominent uh, New England Patriots beat writer. So he, he's got a lot of insight. <laughs> no, I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fine. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I can't name all the, all the different beat writers for all 32 teams. But so he actually, you know, came out with some of his thoughts. And, and he's actually had some good guesses in the past of, you know, the puzzle, the maze that is Bill Belichick's mind. And his hypothesis is that with Julian Edelman gone for the year, um, they, they're still going to want to preserve Danny Amendola. So he'll play a little bit more, especially out of the slot. Um, but his guess is that Rex Burkhead is actually going to see quite a few snaps playing out of the slot. That's, that's a possibility. So now you've got the added upside of potentially being the goal line back as well as seeing some snaps as the slot receiver. And I think that's enough upside for me to pull the trigger on Rex Burkhead, you know, even around early in like round 14 or something. But why couldn't Deion Lewis do that? Why Rex Burkhead? Um, you know, that's something you're going to have to take up with Mike. I, I don't have right? the insight that he sees at practice, like, but... I- yeah, he, I don't think I don't think Rex Burkhead lined up once in the slot for the Bengals, but you know I don't know. I understand that. I'm just saying that I you know he's one of the beat writers that I trust a lot, um, who usually yeah. has some pretty good insight. So take that for what it's worth. Um, you know, I mean that's what those rounds are all about: lotto tickets and potential number one. You know, I mean, even heck, even the third running back on the Patriots is going to have weeks where he scores running back one points. Jonas Gray. It's a lot of ticket. Get those six touchdowns of Jonas Gray for one week and then get cut. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But okay. I think uh, I think that's about 
that just about does it for this first episode back. But man, it, it feels great to be talking football with you again, man. Oh, it, it does. And I think that went, that went fairly well, a couple hiccups, but, uh, but that, that's a wrap. We, uh, starting the season off strong. It's, uh, it's going to be a good season. I'm, uh, I'm so excited right now. I'm looking forward to it. Got uh, three drafts coming up in the next two days. Alrighty. Well, um, for all you listeners, best of luck in your drafts as well as your seasons overall. Um, we will be back very soon. Um, I, I think this season we're planning on recording Monday nights again. So the show should be up, uh, early Tuesday mornings. Um, and, uh, yeah, as always, if you guys have questions for us, uh, you can reach us on Twitter. I am at FFA underscore Mung. That's M-E-N-G. And I'm at FFA underscore Los, L-O-S. Uh, you can get at our producer for doing such a great job editing, mixing, sounding, recording, whatever it is he does, at FFA underscore Dan. How do you corner the market on that one? That's a, that's a solid name to have there. Uh, you can also download us uh, in the Google Play Store on all your Android devices. You can find us on SoundCloud if you prefer that method. Or if you're just listening to us on the iTunes Store, um, don't forget to press subscribe and so that we can uh, download right into your phone so you don't have to go searching for us every week. Yep, and as always, it's a fantasy world, and we're all just addicts in it. Thanks, addicts.